Good morning. What a privilege. Do you, can you think of anything more, more viable within our lives, more wonderful, I, I can't think of the adjective, than to exalt the Lord our God this time, this day, right now? What else? I mean, I, I just can't imagine any, doing anything more wonderful with you folks than to exalt Him at this particular time. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was, while we were singing, I was, I was reminded of the, of the verses in Philippians where it says, Paul writes, being humbled in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, talking of Jesus, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, it says, God highly exalted him. The Father highly exalted him. And we had the privilege of singing those praises to him. And bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those who are in heaven, those who are on this earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a, what a privilege we have to be able to gather together and collectively honor and, and exalt the name of Jesus Christ what a privilege. Well, this is our last Sunday at Bryant Ranch. How about that? It's a, it's, it is just, I mean, it's been approximately a year, maybe a little more or less. I'm not sure of dates, uh, but, but we've, uh, we've been kind of uh, from one place to another. And last night we wrapped up our Saturday evening service over at First Baptist. And we thank the Lord for them. We thank the Lord for their pastor. We want to continue. If you ever have an opportunity to drop a postcard or an email or a postcard, that tells you how old I am, and uh, uh, an email or, or, or anything of the sort to say thank you to him and how much we appreciate them allowing us to be in their building and using it those many weeks um, on Saturdays. Um, if you have an opportunity to do so, his name is Pastor Cliff Sampson. And if you think of it, drop him a note. Uh, if, if not, if you don't have the ability to drop him a note, pray for that church. Pray that God will bless them beyond their wildest dreams. And that they will see, if they wish to have growth, that they will see growth. If, if, if For certain, that they would see growth de in, in deep as well as wide, if that's what they so desire. Um, and bless, ask God to bless them. Uh, I sure have been, and I sure will. And we're going to give them... Uh, some sort of a gift. I'm not even certain what. I, I try to keep my hands off of things like that, but we have got a plan to uh, to honor them and to uh, give them something that that maybe will be important to them, and it'll be come from all of us, and it'll be a part of our appreciation. And so we we wrapped that up last night, and that was like uh, for me. I, I wept on the way home because. I like being in one place at one. I just I cannot tell you how much I long to. I I have traditions that I do, habits that I have. Like I, I brush my teeth before I, I preach. I don't know why. Just in case you come up and my breath. I don't want my breath to stink, but it may do anyways. But I brush my teeth and I I want to be able to put my toothbrush in one place and and stuff away that I know where it is and it, that's just who I am. But I'm, I'm so excited about next week. If you don't know where the place is, it's on 101 South Chaparral. That's in Anaheim Hills, uh, uh, 92808. You can look it up. It's pretty easy to find. We're in really a nice location. Um, we have an ability to be very visible in the community. It's by this uh, shopping center that is called the Festival Shopping Center. And, 
and all the people that go to Target in that area will, will be able to see our church and the logo up on the, on, the, on the hill. And hopefully that we will be able to draw some people to come to our church and, uh, that, that don't normally go to a church. And uh, hopefully we will make an impact in their lives eternally for the cause of Jesus Christ. I can think of no other reason for me to draw breath on these remaining years of my life than to try to draw some people uh, to Jesus Christ. Um, that, is, that would be my, my joy in living. So to sing that song, I, We Exalt Thee, was absolutely appropriate and right, just perfect. It was just perfect. And so would you please turn with me in your Bibles now. Paul is, uh, you know, if, if we were sitting under his teaching, which I believe we are in some ways, uh, not that I would compare myself, please do not even consider that, but I mean uh, th- that, that I would consider myself w- with Paul, but we are at least following his, uh, his outlines, and we are following what he has written to us. And he is really hammering this whole idea of being secure in our faith. And I think there's a reason, and I'll, I'll try to explain it today, but, but it, you would think after he had gone through the whole process of of verses 28, 29, and 30, let alone all that he has done up to this point, you would seem to think that there's nothing left to be said. But in verses 31 through 39, the end of this magnificent chapter, which might be called God's classic assurance of our faith, in verses 31 through 39, Paul not only continues to make a defense of, of the promises of Christ, but he also over and over again, reassures us of God's grace, His unmerited favor that He has poured out amongst us. And so would you please read with me Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, the end of the chapter, but we will take a chunk of it this week and a chunk of it next week because it would be criminal to go through this quickly. And you'll, I think you'll see why today. I really do think you'll see why. It is, um, it is a critical place in the Word of God. And it appears to me that our Lord God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, inspired Paul to write these words so that he might, the Holy Spirit might assure us beyond any shadow of a doubt who we are in Christ. It's quite important, as we're going to mention. Verse 31. Paul concludes this great chapter by saying this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who will also intercede for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written... For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things 
we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. Paul says in verse 38, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, really, Paul, um, thank you. Thank you for expressing to us just how much God loves us. It, it's, it's overwhelming to think of the love that He has for you and me to, to assure us of how much He loves us and that, and that even, Paul wrote, even that when we were yet enemies, our Lord died for us. His love for us is so deep, it's, it's hard to put into words. And so we sang appropriately, We exalt you, O God. What a privilege it is to at least return to Him in our voices and hopefully within our actions, a love of a Christ that, that returns to Him a portion of all of His love for us. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we, we humbly ask that you would take this offer of our love in return for all that you have done for us. Realistically, Father, I think we all grasp the fact that there's, there's no way that we can, in return, give you the same offering of love that you gave for us. You gave us your only begotten Son. Who of us would, uh, would offer up one of our children for another? Especially for another who was our enemy. And so, Father, we just return to you in kind our love, our thankfulness. Lord, we're, we're in the process of making this the last Sunday here at this this school would you prepare the way for us at the other place at the on chaparral father would you um, somehow some way give us favor with our neighbors um, would allow us to be a, a good neighbor someone that would uh, be able to uh, draw people at least to consider the wonders of christ Father, it would be our privilege to lead any and everyone that you would bring to our door to a knowledge of your Son so that they too might have the very things that you have given to us, eternal life, joy, peace, all of those things, Father. So, Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes so that we might behold the wonders of what we just read, your law. And that you would teach us from it, Father. So for that to take place, would you please move me aside? Do not allow me to hinder what you would like to say to each and every one of us individually here this morning. It is our privilege to study your word. It's our privilege to honor you. It's our privilege to exalt you. And Lord, so thank you. Thank you for this particular day, this particular hour, this particular time, this particular moment that we can give you thanks. And as you did your own son, exalt 
the very name of our God. We ask these things, Father, in the most precious name that we know, the one that you have given to us, to have given us salvation, your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul begins by asking, oh, I felt really weird right now. I felt like, wow, who am I to, to talk to you guys? That was one of the, just a, a, a thing that ran through my little pea brain. I just, whoa, it was felt overwhelming all of a sudden. Let me just start again. Paul begins, as he normally does, by asking a rhetorical question. The question, he says, is what then shall we say to these things? What, is Paul, what Paul is saying, basically, is what more can we say? What more can we add to what we have already said, he is saying. It's far too wonderful. But then he says, under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, if God, verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? And that's the thought that is going on in this, this last section of Scripture. This section of Scripture from verse 31 to verse 39. Paul is saying, with God on our side, who is going to be able to bring a charge against us? And the correct answer is to this rhetorical question, nobody, no one. Much of Paul's defense, though, relates to the doctrine of God the Father offering up God the Son on behalf of our sin. Look at verse 32, just for a moment. He, God the Father, who did not spare His own Son, God the Son, Jesus Christ, but He, God the Father, delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give, those are two magnificent words that we'll see in a moment, freely give to us all things. The specific focus is still on the security of your and my faith, but what brings it to a head, if you would, is our Lord's atonement, His payment for our sins upon the cross to those of us who trust and believe in Him. A magnificent promise. So I wrote down this for me, and I'll just share it with you. I, I wrote down, I must not be the, the unusual one. In other words, I must not be the only one who thinks, wow, am I messing up? I, I'll, I'll tell you why. I, I think having this position right here, I prefer this one right here. Because this position right here carries with it some weight that is hard sometimes. no. Sometimes it's almost impossible. It is, a, it is a burden if you want to do it correctly. And obviously I've failed in some areas and, and succeeded in others. But, but I've often wondered so many years ago when I was at Yorba Linda Friends Church and I was just minding my own business. I was teaching a Sunday school class to the, 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 the Crusaders. It was the... Uh, the Rock of Ages group. I was teaching that, and, 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 and the elders came, or they weren't called elders. They had, they had a different name for it. We changed a lot of that, or the Lord God did. Um, whatever we changed, Chuck Mylander was the superintendent at that time, and uh, he came to me later on. I'll, I, I just want you to know that when he came to me and, and he said, you know, will you become a, 
a, a Quaker. Will you become a, a friends uh, in the denomination? I said, no, thank you so much. I won't. And I says, if that troubles you, I will step aside. I will not take the pastorate here because I, I just want to be called a Christian. I, I don't want to be called any denomination. And I said, no disrespect, sir. I, I, I just... I told him then and there, I looked him straight in the eyes, and I said, when you tell me to jump, the only thing I'll ever say to you is, how high? And if I can't jump that high, I will tell you. And so we had a very frank discussion. And when, when, the, when the committee, whoever the group of guys were that, that, that asked me, would you be the senior pastor of this church, I told them immediately, you've got to be kidding. No, no, I have no no formal background no no and I looked them in the eye and I I, I remember telling them I we were the church was dying really uh, in all essence it was getting down to about a hundred and some people and and I said to them I said no wonder you guys aren't going anywhere if, if I'm the best thing you could come up with this is really really a problem I think you have and they they insisted upon it and um, uh, actually I went to Chuck Swindoll remember that name oh man what a preacher. What a good guy. And I went to him, and we became friends um, prior to that and uh, through the ministry with the athletes. And I, I asked him what he thought, and he said, you've got to take this position. you just got to take it. You're the right person for this time. And so that, that encouraged me, and I did. But I have always had my doubts about most of my life. <laughs> uh, when I played baseball, it was... It was not easy for me to, to be the most confident one. I, I had to really work at that. Same thing as here. Uh, it's not easy. And so I must not be the unusual one because Paul wishes to reassure every single one of us with any kind of doubts about the security of who we are in Christ. You see, here's what Paul knows. He knows full well that false teachers, Satan's false prophets, are going to come in to the church and exploit the church with doubts. It's just the way it is. It's been that way from the very beginning of the church to sadly, even today. Sadly, even today. And so Paul wants to give all believers the assurance they need to walk with Christ correctly. Paul begins with this all-encompassing rhetorical question. If God is for you and me, then who's going to be against us? Well, the answer is no one. To add to this complete assurance, in verse 31 is the one simple word, if, I-F. It it translates in the Greek as the conditional E-I, which simply means it is a fulfilled condition. It is not just a mere possibility. In other words, the, 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 the term is not if, but because God is for you, who can be against you. It's not a question. It is a certainty. The obvious implication is this. If anyone were to be able to rob you and me of our salvation, they would have to be greater than God Almighty. But He, of course, is both the giver of your life and the sustainer of your life and of your salvation and of eternity future for e forever. So to Christians, Paul is asking, 
Who can conceivably take away what I've said to you already in this chapter, chapter 8, verse 1? He says in chapter 8, verse 1, don't ever forget it. There is therefore now no condemnation upon those of us who are in Christ Jesus. The answer shouts, who can rob us of this? Nobody. You just can't be done. Listen to King David, way back in the Old Testament. And, and I've always said King David, I've, I've even said this at some funerals that I've had the privilege of doing. King David was, was one of my heroes. And the reason he was one of my heroes is King David was a scoundrel. And yet God called him a man after his own heart. Gives me hope. Should give you hope. Listen to King David in Psalms 27 verse 1. You, you don't need to turn there. God bless these guys. You don't need to turn there, but listen to these words. It's just one simple but very profound verse. David writes, The Lord is my light, and He is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He goes on to say, The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Again, the answer is, of course, no one. No one. Here's what Paul knew. Paul knew that many of his initial readers were going to be Jewish. He also knew that would be impacted by the legalistic, self-righteous Jews who would come into the church and claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. And they would therefore insist, Paul knew, actually the Holy Spirit knew, told Paul ahead of time, that no one, Jew or Gentile, they would, they would insist, that the legalistic Jews that came into the church, they would insist that you cannot maintain your salvation without a strict observance of the Mosaic Law. They wanted to hold on to their Jewishness. Especially, as we learn in Corinthians, the whole idea of circumcision. But Matthew, Matthew warned us. Listen to Matthew's words in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4. He says, these people, these who come into the church and try to burden you with with things that God never asked of you. He says, they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on your shoulders. In other words, they come in with the traditions of mankind and they try to lay these traditions upon your shoulders. But they themselves, Matthew writes, are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. In other words, they want you to do it, but don't ask them to do it. And that's so true oftentimes. I think of some of the people that, that have left here, and, and God bless them, I pray that God will bless them mightily, but, but why, why do they have to say so many things that are negative about us? It doesn't make sense to me. Why would you try to tear down the church of Jesus Christ? Does it make sense to me? Let me give you a for instance. I have nothing against I was raised Roman Catholic, although I didn't go to church. My parents didn't go to church. But the Roman Catholic Church, for instance, teaches that salvation could be lost. Teaches that. If, if someone commits a so-called mortal sin. So they claim you can go to confession, and they claim the power within themselves to both grant or revoke God's grace. But such ideas have no foundation within the Word of God. No person, no group of people, regardless of their religious status, can bestow or withdraw, add or take away even the smallest part of God's word or His grace. 
Listen to what Paul says concerning the church at Ephesus. He warned them in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, 29, and 30. Listen to what he says to the church. He says, Be on guard for yourself and all the flock. In other words, care for one another. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He says this, verse 29. I know, Paul writes, that after I depart, Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, in other words, people of your congregation, he says, will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Wow. That's a very important verse to me in my life. And I won't tell you why. But perhaps you can even guess. People from among our own selves, it says, will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Listen, Paul was not suggesting here at all that a believer can be robbed of their salvation. What he was warning was this, that some can come in, disrupt the family of God to mislead, confuse, and weaken them so as to cause the movement of Jesus Christ and the spread, of, the spread of the gospel to be hindered. Don't ever be a part of that. Don't ever be a part of that. Listen to Paul's reasoning back to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. He, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Paul and our Lord seems to be saying, how could it be possible? that God would sacrifice His own Son, Jesus Christ, for the sake of those who believe in Him, and then cast some who believe in Him away, out of His family, out of His kingdom. Listen, what, what Paul is saying is that would God do less for believers after they are saved than He did for them prior to their salvation? Would he do less for his children than he did for his enemies? Listen to this one verse. We read it a while ago. We studied it a while ago in Romans chapter 5. Listen to Romans chapter 5 verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. At one time, we were enemies of God. Now we are a part of His family. He will not reject us. If God loves us so much while we were wretched sinners, remember, that's what Paul called of himself. Paul said, wretched man that I am, who's going to set me free? If we came to that place, which we did, that it cost our Father in heaven to deliver up His own Son on behalf of our sin, would He then turn His back on us after we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ and made righteous through Him, would He then reject us? The answer is no. There is no place in Scripture that can give you that, that idea, that thought. Let me give you an Old Testament picture of it. Abraham and Isaac. In Genesis chapter 22 in the Old Testament, 
God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham willingly obeyed. Abraham is a picture of God the Father. Isaac is a picture of God the Son. Thus, when Abraham took his son, and, and can you even imagine, try it once in a while, just, just get alone with God every once in a while. Think through some of these scenarios. Think through, would, would you take your son, your child, whoever your child is, lay your child on an altar, take a knife and start to... You, I, there's no way I could do that. If God asked me to do that to my son or my daughter I, 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 or my grandkids, I would reason with them, please, please, I can't do that. Me, take me. Let them draw the knife. Let them put it in my chest. But please don't ask me to do this. I can't. I don't know that I ever could. And yet Abraham went on the altar, put his son Isaac there, drew his, so his, his knife as to shove it in his chest, and the Lord stopped him. And there in the thicket was a ram that was caught. And, the, and that's when Abraham, Abraham said, The Lord God has provided a sacrifice. God intervened to spare Isaac, providing a ram in his place in, in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 13. And at that point, the likeness of Abraham and Isaac and God the Father and God and the Son changes from comparison to contrast. Because in verse 32 of Romans chapter 8, God, it says, did not spare his own son. Rather, he delivered him up for you and me. Think of it. Think of it. Don't, don't make it some way out there idea God the Father gave His Son for your life and my life in what, while we were enemies of His. Isaiah, so taken by all of this, wrote these wonderful words in, in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4, 5, 6, and verse 10. Listen. Listen to these words. He says, Verse 4, Isaiah 53, Surely our griefs He Himself bore, our sorrows He carried. Talking about God the Son. Yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. In other words, He's dying for our sin. He was pierced through for our transgressions, and He was crushed for our iniquities, the chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, you and I have been healed. Verse 6, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord God has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon his Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 10, so it says the Lord God, God the Father, was pleased to crush his son, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. Isaiah wrote those words. They're, they're powerful words about what God the Father and God the Son have done for all of us. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross not only is the foundation of your salvation, it is also the foundation of your security. And so when you walk out of here today, I want you and me to walk out of here with the assurance of who we are in Christ. It's one of the greatest privileges we have as believers in Jesus Christ. Because the Father and the Son loves us so much that while we were under the condemnation of our sin, 
Paul was moved to write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he, talking about God the Father, made him, talking about God the Son, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf, so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him. That's a great verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I love this other verse in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. It says, Jesus, who gave himself for our sin so that, so that he might rescue you and me from this present evil age according to will of God the Father. And Jesus promises all who belong to him in John chapter 14. He says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, he said, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And then he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and I will receive you to myself. Note, so that where I am, you may be also. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? I think it is. I think it's marvelous. The Lord God makes no allowance for any of his people to be lost. He promises every single one of us an eternal home forever in an eternal presence with him. In fact, to further this assurance, Jesus Christ says in John chapter 14, talking about God, the Holy Spirit, he says, I'm going to ask the Father. Jesus says these words in John 14, 16. And God the Father will give you another helper, God the Holy Spirit, that he may be with you forever. Listen, if he's with you and me forever, we're not going to be condemned to hell. We will be with him in heaven. So back to Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Let's close this up. This is fabulous. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him, here's, this, is, this is absolutely beautiful, freely give us all things. Freely give us. Freely give translates by a very difficult to say Greek word, C-H-A-R-I-Z-O-M-A-I. It means to bestow graciously or to give out of grace. God's unmerited favor. Listen now, this is important. God's unmerited and unlimited forgiveness freely gives to you and me all things. In other words, it makes it impossible for a believer to sin himself out of God's grace. His unmerited favor is upon your life and my life. Freely give, the word C-H-A-R-I-Z-O-M-A-I, includes the idea of God graciously forgiving you and me and also graciously giving us eternal life. Eternal life. So Paul writes to all believers in Ephesians 1, 3, saying, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, you and me, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen, since God blesses all of us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, then the loss of your or my salvation is clearly impossible. It's impossible as far as God is concerned. One of the major reasons we've already studied is that you and I don't hold our salvation. God does. We're not in control of it. He is. And He loves you and me that much. Think about it. Who's more powerful than God? Well, the answer is no one. But let's say Satan. God's most powerful supernatural enemy is Satan. If he could take away our salvation, Scripture might tell us so. After all, he is called in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, the accuser of the brethren. It says that he 
he goes before the Father day and night accusing you and me of our sin. And when he does, we are told that we have an advocate. In other words, an attorney who says, Father, Jesus standing up, I died for that sin. And the God the Father says, case closed. He's free. It's been paid in full. And Satan gets up and accuses another one of us. And our Lord stands up again. God bless you, by the way. How are you, how you doing? When does the baby do? September. Wow, congratulations. And so when, we, when, we, when, he, when, when Satan accuses us again, God the Father's about to hit a gavel, and the Lord Jesus stands up again and says, No, no, Father, I died for that one too. Job, and someday we should study the book of Job, although it's a hard study. It's a hard study because it's, uh, it's difficult to interpret, but it's also uh, hard because of what goes on in there. But Job shows us clearly that Satan is limited about what he can and cannot do. You're probably familiar with the story. It says that Satan is roaming the earth, seeing whom he could devour. And he comes before the presence of God and he says, no, the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth, God says. He's blameless. He's an upright man. He fears me. He turns away from evil. Satan says, big deal. Verse 9. Satan says, does Job fear God for nothing? And then he answers what he's trying to say. He says, verse 10, have you, talking to God, have you not put a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side. In other words, you've got him completely protected. You asked me to go consider him, I can't get to him. You know that. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But, Satan says to God, you put forth your hand now and you touch in all that he has and he will curse you to your face. I noticed something from this place in Scripture. Satan said to God, you put forth your hand. You touch all he has. You see, it appears very clearly that Satan did not assume that he could touch Job without God's approval. He couldn't get to him. Can't get to you or me either. Satan accused Job of worshiping God out of selfishness rather than out of reverence and love. Touch all that he has. He'll curse you to your face, God. During the process of uh, the Lord allowing Satan to do something to Job, Job did question God's wisdom in the book of Job once, and he was divinely rebuked by God in verses 38 through 41. God just laid him low. Nonetheless, Job repented and was forgiven. From the very beginning of the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 8, to chapter 42, verses 6 and 7, no, 7 and 8, forgive me, God affectionately calls Job over and over again, my servant Job. My servant Job. Although Job's faith was not perfect, like ours, nonetheless it was genuine, like yours and mine. And the Lord, therefore, permitted Satan to test Job 
Now, get this. This is critically important. He allowed Satan to test Job, knowing that Satan could never destroy Job's faith, nor could he rob Job of his salvation. Let me tell you how I know. In the New Testament, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon. This is in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. <laughs> would you not want to hear that? Would, I wouldn't. I mean, I, come on, please, no. But he says, verse 32, Jesus said to, to Simon Peter, I've prayed for you, Simon Peter. I pray that your faith will not fail. Because every believer, you and me, have a divine protection about us, a hedge, if you would. Paul asks in verses 32 and 33 and 34, as we'll get to next week. He says, he, verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God's the one who justifies. He says in verse 34, who is going to be the one who will condemn you? Christ is the one who died for you. Rest, rather, he was raised from and is at the right hand of God. He will intercede for you. The Lord says that those charges against you and me amount to absolutely nothing before He and His Son because Jesus Christ took it upon Himself to go to a cross. They couldn't have never gotten Him on that cross unless He wanted them to. There's no way. He would have not been able to have been pierced through unless He allowed it. I mean, do you remember when they wanted to arrest Him? And he said a word, and what happened to all the soldiers? What did they do? They fell back on their keisters, on their bottoms. They couldn't touch him unless he allowed them. And he went to that cross, and he shed his blood for us willingly, willingly, so that he could hold on to you and me forever and ever when we come to him in faith. I want you to walk out of here so, so assured of who you are in Christ. And I want you to to absolutely love the Lord, exalt the holy name as, as Brian and August sang just a while ago. Exalt the name of Christ today. How? I don't know. I don't know. It might just simply mean a smile to someone, telling someone you love them. It might be as simple as that. I've already texted about three or four of my friends this morning while I was praying back here. One of them was a, a dear friend, Hutch, who I love so much and he might be coming into this area one of these days, but he's just on a little bit of a mini vacation with his wife. But he wants to get together with me and my wife and just uh, have some laughs. And um, he told me about some of the things that's happening in his life, and it's monumental. Man, we could pray for that, that young that man. Um, God, God's going to use him mightily. And... Uh, I get a privilege to tell him every time I can how much I love him. And he, uh, he never lets me outdo him. He always tells me back. He loves me back, always. Or he'll write me first and say, I love you. And then I'll write him back. It's a good thing to tell your friends and your loved ones that you love them. Don't take it for granted. Don't do it. Don't do it. Let people know. Um, part and parcel of why I tell you I love you every week. I want to be at least one voice 
that says to you, I love you so much. Thanks for coming. Have a great day. Our Lord loves you as well so much. By the way, Father, I want to thank you for this moment. We have the privilege of privileges, Father, and that is to absolutely exalt your name. Who can do that? We, Father, who trust and believe in you. You say you hear our prayers. Scripture tells us that you do not even hear the prayer of those who don't know you until they come to ask you for forgiveness of their sin. You say that there are righteous deeds and our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. It's, it's the privilege of privileges that we have as believers in Jesus Christ, a part of your family, adopted into your family, that we can shout from the rooftops that we love you and we thank you. Let us live this day appropriately. Thank you, Father, for the last service that we've had here as far as this place. I, I pray you'll bless this school. I pray you'll bless the people who have allowed us to be here for whatever their reason was. I thank you for that. And I pray that if it, they need another um, church or, or a group to be here, that you would supply that for them. But it, not our will, of course, yours be done. In the process, Father, will you watch over where we're going? Care for us as we move. Let this be a place that, uh, that we'll be able to honor you greatly. Lord, I love the people of this church so much I can't even put it into words. Thank you for letting me be a part. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.